So, as I mentioned, our youth are probably coming back from their trip uh, at Universal at Rock the Universe. Um, They have also been involved in a World Religions series where almost every Sunday the last few weeks they have been um, attending a different uh, community of faith. They have been studying about Judaism. They've been studying about uh, Hinduism, about Islam. And then uh, to kind of wrap it all up here in a couple weeks, we will have a conversation about what does this do with our faith of Christianity? How does it impact um, the way that we see Christ? How does it impact how we live amongst others? And, and maybe some of you had, have had a, a similar experience as I have over the years, um, certainly in seminary and being a part of different uh, ecumenical groups, so different faiths uh, coming together as an organization, um, and many times with pastors. There's a lot of conversation about how we have similarities, how we have things that can bring us together, that can show commonality, uh, which is great. You know, you, you may have uh, heard or even used that mountain example. You know how all paths uh, sort of similarly lead to God. We may just be taking different routes, and that's great. Over the years, I kind of thought um, how helpful it would be, though, if we also talked about our differences, That it's not just about coming together and finding what it is that we have in common, but what if we actually talked about what makes us unique? Um, And to lift that up and to celebrate that as okay as well. Um, Because what we really don't talk about a whole lot is how we are different. What makes us different? What makes us separate? from each other. And kind of on the surface, that might seem as though it is negative, as though it is pushing away. But if you think about it, just focusing on commonalities can be a way that we push each other away as well. This Christmas, I was gifted with a subscription to the Smithsonian magazine, um, which is actually really fascinating. Uh, This latest issue had an article about Frederick Jackson Turner, who was a famous uh, Harvard historian professor um, in the 19th century, had a very famous article and thesis about the expansion of the frontier. And so as people were expanding throughout what we now call the United States of America, there was not only an expansion of land, but there was an expansion of ideology and philosophy that we were all coming to a common purpose and that we were all coming together as one people. Uh, Professor Turner puts it himself as the force that forged Americans into one people. And see, so he writes this thesis about this, and at first it doesn't really get a whole lot of traction, and then over the years it explodes and becomes kind of the document and the embodiment of what it means to be a part of the United States. It was written in this article, his frontier thesis would become the dominant lens through which Americans understood their character, their origins, and their destiny. So as you kind of see from this image, there is almost this divine guidance through the frontier, which was part of his thesis. This fed the idea of what we might call American exceptionalism. And even the idea that all of this was divinely inspired so that we could go across the country to make everybody one. And he wrote on the tales of this success for many, many years. The only problem was, eventually, he changed his mind. Mainly because he realized that he had been writing not really out of academic research, 
but really just his own perspective, his own point of view, believing that the whole rest of the country was exactly like him, exactly like his family, exactly like his experiences. But as he became more and more exposed to these different communities, to these different towns, to these different regions, he realized that all of these regions were richly, richly diverse. It was full of people who were not the same. And so his last project was supposed to be a new thesis to sum all of this up. Now, the legend is that uh, this professor was an incredible procrastinator and uh, just wasn't able to get it finished um, before the end of his life, unfortunately. But it was supposed to be a book not about American unity, but in his words, rather about the abiding differences between its regions. And I think it's important for us to know that he puts it that way, abiding differences. In other words, differences that people were able to live with, differences that people were able to live amongst. And maybe even to put it in language that hopefully is familiar to us, abide in me as I abide in you. And so this language about unity, this language about uniting, this language about all of us, you know, coming together and being one on the surface, it sounds really, really good. It sounds really, really helpful. It sounds really, of course, uniting. But there are some pieces of this that can be ignored if we get too caught up in the unification of who we are as people. I experienced this personally in my years in seminary where we learn not just about theology, but maybe even more importantly, how it is that we interact with each other and all of the various people we are to be in ministry with. For example, I used to be a person who used the word colorblind. And I thought this was a way in which we were supposed to bring each other together to saying, well, I'm colorblind. I don't see different colors. I don't see differences. All I see are similarities. Until a student who respected me enough pulled me aside one day and said, here's the problem with that. You need to see my color. I want you to see my color. In other words, I don't want you to be blind. I don't want you to turn away from what makes us different, from what makes us unique, from what makes us who we are. I want you to see. And in that moment, I realized what my problem had been with this kind of ideology, with that kind of uh, verbiage, that kind of language, this idea that we're all the same. Because if we're all the same, then I don't have to learn about you. If we're all the same, then I don't need to know your story. If we're all the same, then I don't have to learn about colors. I don't have to learn about pronouns. I don't have to learn about different expressions of identity because you all are like me. And I already know myself. Or at least I think I do. And therefore, I don't have to do any work in learning anything else. If we are all the same, then I don't have to change. This weekend, 
we remember the Holocaust. This year, and in fact, the bishop himself brought this up, a bishop from another state brought up that we are in the 100th anniversary of the uh, Rosewood Massacre, a community in Levy County that experienced almost total destruction, a community that was mostly populated by people of color that was nearly burnt to the very ground because of a white mob and their idea of dispensing justice. This weekend, we saw a video of a man by the name of Tyree Nichols being beaten in Memphis by five police officers who later died from his injuries. These are things we have to see. Because none of those horrors happened because we are all the same. The book of Micah is one of our prophetic books. A prophetic book in the Old Testament kind of means someone who has something to say that nobody wants to hear. And yet they say it. And so in the prophetic book of Michael, this is from chapter six, it reads, how can I stand up before God? How can I stand up before God and show proper respect? Should I bring an armload of offerings? Should I top them off with yearling calves? Would God be impressed with thousands of rams, with buckets and barrels of olive oil? God has already made it plain, the prophet says. God has already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for. It is quite simple, Micah writes. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. Some of us might even be asking the question at this point that has been asked hundreds of times for thousands of years. Well, who is my neighbor? God is saying through the prophet Micah, I don't want your offerings. I don't want them. I don't, I don't want your money. I don't want your prestige. I don't want your old ways of doing things. I don't want to hear I'm colorblind. I want you to learn a new way, God says. I want you to learn, which means I want you to see. If we cannot see, there is no hope for us learning anything new. And this is where we get the Beatitudes. That passage in Matthew 5 that talks about being blessed. But Jesus doesn't just go into saying, blessed are you and blessed are you. Something happens first. Not only does something happen first, something continues to happen even after he says these famous words. Before Jesus says anything, he sees. As we find out in Matthew 5, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds. When Jesus saw. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, 
the committed, they climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. You are blessed when you feel as though you've lost what is most dear to you. You are blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more nor less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. You are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. God is food and drink in the best meal you will ever eat. You are blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you will find yourselves cared for. You are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Because then you see God in the outside world. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That is when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. What this means is that the truth is too close for comfort and it makes others uncomfortable. Know that you are in good company. My prophets and my witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. So in other words, to be a follower of Christ means that we are not only witnesses at times. We are prophets. But in the midst of this, in the midst of the prophetic work, in the midst of the challenge, even in the midst of the hopelessness, these words remind us you are the same now and by God as you were in that moment of creation. And remember, in the story of creation, God looks at every single thing God creates and calls it what? Good. And calls you, humanity, very good. You are very good, not because of what you can do, not because of what you can give, not because of what you can say. You are good because you are good, because that's how God created you. As United Methodists, we call this the image of God. This is what John Wesley firmly believed in his theology about who we are at our core. Through the lens of grace, prevenient, justifying, sanctifying is all about getting back to that original image. When you wipe off the smudges, when you peel off the corners, when you repair the tears and the rips, it is an original image, first and foremost, of goodness. And that is each one of us. So when God is saying, you know, don't don't give me your your jewels, don't give me your riches, he's not just saying that in a in a tone of condemnation. That might be a little bit of it. Saying don't 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 give me that stuff. But fundamentally what he's also saying is you don't need to impress me. You don't need to try to win my favor. You don't need to try to win my attention. You don't need to try to win my love. It is already there. In fact, it has been there long before you even realized it. You don't have to impress me. Through the prophet Micah, 
God is saying, I need you to know this. I need you to remember this because we can get so caught up in trying to look better than we are or more successful or stronger or more put together. You don't need to do any of that. God reminds us. What I need you to do is to reconnect. I need you to reconnect with each other. I need you to reconnect with each other's goodness. I need you to know each other. I need you to know what makes people my people. I need you to know what makes them them. And I need you to remember what makes you you. I need you to see each other. And I need you to see yourself the way I see you. I need you to know that you are blessed because of who you already are. And in that, we will transform. We will change. We will grow as we get back to that original image. I need you to bless each other. God reminds us. So as we go forward as participants in this meal that we have received, but also the call to be that to the world, let us not shy away from our differences, but let us be open to learning. Let us be open to seeing in new ways as it is that God sees us. And as we do that, let us see those opportunities that we can serve in love and in fellowship. As we receive communion, let us go and be communion. And may we go in peace. Amen.